0: suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, End time Watchwoman Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zelinsky Show. Thank you for tuning in from across the globe. I am honored that you are dialed in tonight. I broadcast Monday to Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on Worldwide Christian Radio. Sign up for my podcast by going to weekendvigilani.com and you will see the big pink Sheila's podcast button. Do sign up for that and you will have access to the latest shows as they are archived. Add me also on social media. The social media buttons are also there on my website. I update a lot of information on Facebook and Twitter, so do add me there as well as follow my YouTube channel. My book, Green Gospel, is available for pre-order. Go to greengospel.ca. And there's a link also on my own website, WeekendVigilante.com. Please get a copy for yourself and order extra copies for your family, your church, your pastor. This is the most astonishing, devilish agenda of our era. And it is a great tool to wake people up with something everyone on the planet has heard about, the environment. I will come and speak at your church also, so all that information is there. Go to greengospel.ca. And finally, I want to let people know that I am on Caravan to Midnight with John B. Wells tonight at 10 p.m. Central Time. That's Caravan to Midnight. I very much admire and respect John B. So again, tonight, 10 p.m. Central, I'm on Caravan to Midnight with John B. Wells. I do hope you check that out. I have a fantastic show today, folks. My guest is the renowned Dr. Michael Lake. He is the chancellor and founder of Biblical Life College and Seminary, which really is the premier online spirit filled theological seminary. He is the author of the incredible book, Shinar Directive, that Dr. Tom Horn published amazing book and dr lake was on the program talking about that book and you can look up that show archive dr lake's two websites are kingdom intelligence and biblical life.com it is my pleasure to have him back on the program dr lake welcome back to the program sir
1: it's a pleasure to be back
0: Dr. Lake, recently the Lord has really been dealing with me greatly regarding the topic of spiritual warfare. We live in times, of course, of great darkness and Satan is ever mindful of how he can deceive us, distort our views about ourselves and God. And in addition to his constant efforts to gain entrance to our hearts and minds, we have to deal with our own human frailties, including a predisposal towards negative thinking and a general lack of faith and once we realize the true magnitude of the fight in which we're engaged it shouldn't really be any surprise that the apostle paul urges us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devils. It tells us that they're in Ephesians 6. Now, whether we realize it or not, we are engaged in a battle and our opponent knows our weaknesses and he is extremely subtle in his approach. And his goal is to increase the noise in our minds to get us distracted by life so that we forget sometimes we're even in a battle. But this is not a game here and we need to be trained warriors. And the call that rings forth from the Word of God and from the stadium of heaven filled with the saints of God that have gone before us is loud and clear, get up and fight. It really is time, Dr. Lake, isn't it, to walk in the kingdom authority and to conduct spiritual warfare in the same manner as Jesus and the early church, isn't it?
1: I think that we not only have to walk in that level, one of the things that I postulate in my book is we're facing levels of spiritual warfare that the early church never knew. When you look at the watchers that, uh, that were released around the beginning of the 20th century, that's something, and, and the technology and everything else they bring is something that the early church had never had to deal with. And so we, we've got to look at the book of Acts and say, we need to up our game because we actually got to take it to even a higher level than they did.
0: That is so interesting what you're saying there. And I think that's why we really need to be ramping up where we are in terms of our spiritual kingdom authority because over the last few decades, there have been many books, as you know, and teachings on spiritual warfare. And those that entered into actively living by those teachings found the task much more challenging, I think, than they could ever imagine. Now, it really is to me time to return to the book of Acts and realize that early church flowed in some truths and mindsets too, though, didn't they?
1: They did. And we we need to understand, I think part of the problem we have today is we have made church an entertainment venue, if you will.
0: Right.
1: But really, uh, it should be a place of spiritual training and discipleship. If discipleship is done properly, during that process of discipleship, you get and it's part of the sanctification process you get you get systematically set free you're also getting systematically equipped and to begin standing against the forces of darkness but without that mentorship and that discipleship you're ill prepared you know the devil doesn't care how how well you can play the guitar or if you know how to put the mood lighting just right in church what he's afraid of is you understand the dynamics of the power of the name of jesus the power that's in the blood of jesus and the power that comes from a life that is obedient to the Word of God.
0: Absolutely, and one of the things I find so fascinating, and I think this is why I felt so compelled to also have you on the show, because you have an incredible teaching it's a kingdom authority and warfare study set and i want to get into how people can actually do that as a home group as a church bible study for you know a home fellowship i want to talk about that at the end of the program because i think this is one of the more powerful series that i've i've seen and i really want to talk about that towards the end of the program but give us give our listeners dr lake a little bit of an overview of what you teach in this and then we'll touch on some of the points in the series
1: well, I actually teach this at the college level, and when I originally designed the program, I thought it was going to be the standard three-semester credit hour or sixteen lectures plus study. And we actually have Kingdom Authority Warfare one, two, and three. So you're you're almost looking at about fifty hours worth of teaching and and three books. And and I've really feel with this, I've just scratched the surface. Uh, we, you know, we we look at, you know, what what kind of fight we're in understanding the dynamics of that fight, what really happened in the garden, what really happened at the cross, when you understand those things, then you begin understanding why that even the sequence in the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, that he, this, the very sequence that he lists the parts of the armor, you have to put them on in that order or they will not work.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about the armor and really what that entails and and the piece that a lot of people miss in that, Dr. Lake.
1: I think the one that we really mess up on is, is truth that unless we're dealing with God's truth, nothing works. It's, it's what holds everything together. And it's not, you know, I, I look at, in fact, I just finished a sermon that we're going to be broadcasting on biblical life TV this week. We, we look at, you know, the gospel is supposed to be preached in all the world. Then the end can come. And my contention is the gospel that's being preached now is not the gospel.
0: Mm, that's good. We really do have a very watered down, lukewarm, half-truth gospel, don't we?
1: We do. And we we've got to stand having our loin's gird in truth. And that's not talking about, you know, candy-coated Christianity that that that's being uh placated to you know to placate the body of christ right now it's getting deep into the word of god and discovering the real truth and digging deep in that word and as we do that is what enables us to stand and begin to systematically put on each piece the belt for the roman soldier was the piece that tied everything together and without that belt his armor would literally fall off and i think that's what we're having today in the body of christ uh, we, 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 we live by sound bites. We, we have, we're having pastor, you know, pastor's giving us little sound bites instead of getting deep into the word of God to really teach us who we are in Christ, to teach us what sin is, to teach us what repentance is, all these things that we need to really understand the dynamics of how they function in our life. And instead we're, we're giving little, we're giving little sound bites and little cliches that may pacify our mind, but they're actually disarming the body of Christ.
0: Well, for the listeners out there, of course, I would say 90% of my listening audience, of course, is I really believe Christians that really want to press into the deeper things of God. Where does a person start in all of this, Dr. Lake, when they're saying, "You know, I just feel like I want to press into God, but I I don't know where to start." What do you say to those kind of people?
1: Well, there's there's a lot of good places, you know, every every house needs to be a, a, a home or, or a place of study you need to have a good study Bible need to have a strong concordance where you can begin digging apart the Greek and Hebrew and uh, and and some good Bible commentaries that were written by really godly men we know one of my favorite of, of the older ones is Adam Clark who was fluent in Greek and Hebrew I don't always agree with him but he at least brings out a wealth of information uh, that you can really dig deep into any anytime that we really choose to be you know are we really stir that hunger god's going to begin systematically placing the right information into our hands you know that's one of the reasons why besides the stuff that we sell that i developed for biblical life college and seminary uh we we produce a lot of things with with biblical life assembly and biblical life tv that are all for free just to help people get deep into the word
0: well in a world that's kind of filled with everything but peace we are told the shoes of peace shalom what does that mean in this world of absolute, just Caligula-level insanity all around us?
1: Well, you know, first of all, God's peace passes all understanding. And, you know, when you look at the Roman soldier's shoes, they had spikes on the bottom of that he could actually drive into the ground that, that kept him from being moved. And uh, I've been in situations, my wife had been in situations that we had supernatural peace. It's almost like God poured warm oil on us for just a, a little bit in absolutely ridiculous situations that my flesh was either wanting to leave or I'm ex-military or wanted to rock and roll, if you know what I mean. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to tolerate this. <laughs> God says, chill, just stand in who you are in me and let me take care of this. And you, you walk away from it, and, you know, my wife and I have walked away from situations saying, God absolutely took control of that because that was the last thing that I wanted to do, you know, in the flesh. It was the last thing that I could have thought about doing. But yet the peace of God enabled us to stand in that situation and be immovable for the word from, from the you know, what what God wanted. At the same time, it really confounded the enemy.
0: Well, that's always nice to confound the enemy because, of course, his tactics are, again, they're very subtle. And I think it's really interesting how we can let the enemy come in and really influence our minds. Now, one of the things, of course, we hear this thrown around a lot. The, we hear this word, the breastplate of righteousness. But people don't really fully understand what righteousness means. Get into that, Dr. Lake.
1: Well, it's twofold. Number one, it means right standing. Because of what Jesus did for me, I am now placed in right standing with God. But at the same time, the other part of that breastplate is, you know, if you, if you have kids that you have told to do stuff around the house and you, you've told them exactly what to do and they've done it, there's a confidence with, that comes with doing the right thing. You know what? If I if I promise them, you know, if you do this, I'm going to give you this, or you you teach them responsibility, and somebody tries to take that which you have given them responsibility over, and they have always done the right thing, they they can stand in the confidence, and their breastplate of righteousness is not only that right standing that God has given me through Christ, but as I learn to grow in that, I now have a track record of walking in that righteousness and doing the right things and by and by the combination of both of those together when the enemy tries to attack my heart he has a hard time getting through and causing that confidence to wane because i come into that situation knowing that i have been obedient to god knowing that, that knowing what christ has done for me and that work has has begun to work through me so that when i'm standing there he can't begin doing all these accusations of of you know who do you think you are and and you know you know how the, the mind games he, he constantly plays and, and, you know, you failed God here and you failed God yeah. here. <laughs> and accuser you're
0: s- of the brethren, right? Tactics.
1: Yeah, and I'm saying, no, I didn't. I did the right thing. And the reason I'm standing here against you is because I walked into it doing the right thing.
0: Well, you're so right. And one of the things that I think is so important, and yet I think people just read this, they kind of gloss over it. But we hear this term, shield of faith. And it's, you know, as easy as that word faith, it just sounds like, oh, faith. OK, just have faith. People don't fully understand what kind of faith pleases God. Of course, we see Jesus saying to the disciples, oh, give the boy to me. Oh, you of little faith. Bring him to me. And then he, of course, cast that devil out. But it's interesting. One of the things he had said to them is how long do I have to put up with you? So he was obviously very frustrated at the lack of faith. He says, Oh ye of little faith, what kind of faith pleases God and what are the pieces of faith that people need to understand, Dr. Lake?
1: I, I think there's two sides to faith. Number one, simply believing God and his word. But you know when the Apostle Paul said the just shall live by faith, he actually, was actually quoting the Old Testament. And when you go back and look at that, it, the, the scripture literally reads, the just shall live by his faithfulness. And because I have faith in God, I'm faithful to that kingdom. I'm faithful to what he has said. And it's it's the combination of not only having faith in God, but my faithfulness to that covenant that enables me to stand against the fiery darts of the enemy.
0: And how would you describe the sword of the Spirit to people and what's important about that?
1: Well, one of the things I, I tell people is, you know, that, that sword was a two-edged sword and it wasn't necessarily for you to be able to, you know, hit the devil coming and going. Part of that sword is to attack the enemy. And part of that sword is to uh, get rid of things out of your own life.
0: Yeah, that's so true, though.
1: It is. And I think one of the things that we with dealing with all this armor, dealing with all these things, you know, it's like the name of Jesus. If you really reverence the name of Jesus, you, you live differently. You pray differently. I've seen Christians that have been so flippant about the name of Jesus, and they say, oh, it's just this magic term that whatever I ask the Father in his name, uh, he's going to give it to me, not realizing that when I come before the Father in the name of Jesus, I've got to make sure because I'm representing him. And if I have reverence for the name of Jesus, and I'm com- and I'm demanding my life to come in line with the name of Jesus, then when I use that name in authority, whether it be prayer before the Father or against the enemy, the enemy will respect that name because I have shown it on her first.
0: Absolutely. And I think you touched on something important. People very flippantly use the name of Jesus almost to some terminology that reduces God to some skybound wish-granting bellhop, doesn't it?
1: It does. And, and the name of Jesus does not turn God into a Santa Claus.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: You know, and a lot of times, you know, I've, I've actually really sought the face of God for some things, and, and uh, he's told me, he says, you really want this? I say, yeah, I, I really, I, this, this is what I want to do. And he says, well, you know, it's going to take me about three years of really working on you to get you to be the man who can do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it really changes your attitude about prayer. It's like, okay, let me let me count the cost here, Father.
0: One of the things I find kind of interesting, and I think it's one of the most frequent, type of emails i get is i really do not know how to pray effectively it's like you know people frequently email me saying i just i know you know you guys talk about this prayer closet but i'm not sure how to pray what do you suggest for people that are really struggling with how to go about praying effectively dr lake
1: i think the first step is really getting to know him you know, it, it's like in when I was building my relationship with my wife before we got married. I mean, even after you after you get married, there's still this constant learning one another, and and under, you know, learning ones like now when we first got married, my wife could have hollered for me in the middle of Walmart and I couldn't have found her. Uh, now she can whisper my name and I'll find her anywhere she is because I'm so attuned to her voice. At the same time, it was there was this process of really getting to know her and her really getting to know me. And what that entailed is just open up up our hearts and just really being real and sharing where we are. I think we need to get rid of this religious notion of, you know, having these Elizabethan type of prayers when we go into our prayer closet. It's okay to go into our prayer closet and say, Father, I have had really a bad day. And, you know, I would like right now for to be able to pray for you to knock my enemy's teeth out, but I also probably know that that's probably wrong. But this is where I'm, this is what I'm feeling. And so before we deal with anything else, Father, can I tell you how I'm feeling? And, and you can help me work through this and get me to where I need to be. It's that open communication in prayer that really we begin to sense the heart of God and there's there's prayers of faith there's prayers of agreement there's all these other kind of things but all of those are built on the foundation of being open and honest with God and just begin building that relationship with him
0: and you said knocking teeth out I mean we kind of can knock the devil's teeth out in a way the devil ought to know better than go up against a spirit-filled anointed Christian shouldn't he
1: well, he uh, I, I think that he's arrogant. I think he realizes how weak we are many times because we have we, we have basically promoted spiritual anemia in the body of Christ the way that we do things. Uh, one of the things that I have speculated, you know, the, the enemy resides in a higher dimensional plane than, than we see here and in, in the three dimensions that we can see and then the one that we pass through called time. And I have wondered in those higher dimensions if the enemy can't see everything about us. You know the Bible says when we get to heaven, we're going to be known as we, you know, we were going to know as we are known, and I, I just kind of wonder if He can't look from, from that higher spatial dimension and kind of be able to read our mail. And that's that's why keeping on that armor and keeping that relationship with God is so important. And and He never comes, you know, if you're strong in God, He'll never come at you head on. He always comes at you from the side.
0: Yeah, He knows how to be subtle, doesn't He? He does. So. The ministry of intercession is really interesting because a lot of people throw around this term intercessory prayer. Get into explaining that for people, what the ministry of intercession.
1: Well, there's there's actually two sides. There's intercessory prayer and there's supplication. Uh, You know, if I was going to pray for you because you're a part of the kingdom of God, I can't do intercessory prayer for you because you have a standing before the king too, but I can supplement it. But if I'm praying for somebody outside the kingdom, then I can intercede for them because they have no right to go before the king and to make any request. And sometimes people get the terms mixed up.
0: And so to explain that in a simple way for people so they don't get it mixed up, explain that a little more for people.
1: Well, for a believer, it's a supplement that you know any, any believer can come before God, you know, share their problems, ask for help in a time of need, And I can come beside them and saying, Father, I come into agreement with this, and I begin supplementing for them or adding to what they're doing. But if you have, you know, John down the street that's not saved, then I can begin interceding for him before the king that the heaven would begin to move uh, to bring him to Christ and to begin moving in his life and to prove to him that God is real. And so, you know, one, we we have to intercede because they have no standing. The other one, we're simply supplementing their standing with God.
0: Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I always get a lot of, I do a lot of shows on this and I get a lot of emails on, you know, how do I do this properly? I don't know what how to do this. But fasting is very interesting, especially the weight of fasting in light of the fact that Jesus said, when you fast, he didn't say if you fast. So he assumes that we are going to be fasting. Fasting is exceptionally important to our walk talk about the importance of this, because a lot of people just kind of go, well, you know, I will do a fast one of these days, but they're just, they're pretty loosey-goosey about fasting.
1: They are, it's, it has become a lost art. And, uh, you know, the early church fasted at least two days a week. And uh, I think we may need to return to that, to the to the days ahead, because fasting does two things. It adds weight to your prayer life it adds it adds weight to spiritual warfare but one of the things that I have personally found is that it begins to um calm the body down it begins to open up to where it's easy for you to hear God and I mean there's some there's all kinds of different dynamics that go on with that within the body maybe part of it is just cleaning all the junk out from from the toxins in our air and everything else that can that can even dull us spiritually. But there, there has always been something about fasting that either when you really needed to hear from God or needed heaven to move, fasting was quintessential to that process, as well as in spiritual warfare when, you know, the, uh, the disciples that, that couldn't cast that demon out, he said, now these only come out by prayer and fasting. Yes. And when you read, and <laughs> when, I, when I was going through Bible college and everything, like, nobody ever talked about fasting. And then I get in the book of Acts. And they, they fast before a meeting. Uh, they're, gonna, they're going to uh, you know, set some people apart for ministry. They, they first fast about who it's supposed to be, then after they find out who it's supposed to be, then they fast before they do the ceremony. It's almost to the place where they're fasting to find out if they need to fast before they pray.
0: And, you know, as you were talking, I couldn't help but think about Joel Osteen one time in a video said, you know, I'm not called to preach on sin. And I thought, well, what are you called to preach on? Because isn't it kind of important to be preaching the full counsel of God? And, you know, part of me, I mean, it's not even funny that we have these so-called preachers in the pulpits that are. Absolutely just no different to me, Dr. Lake, than a motivational speaker. And this is what is so incredible about the church today in general. I'm not saying all, but the churches in the West are absolute motivational pulpits, aren't they?
1: They are, and the truth is you cannot present the gospel without preaching against sin. It is impossible to get saved until you first are presented with your sin how awful it is! How it has separated you from God, and why Jesus had to go to the cross, and on that cross He bore the ugliness of your sin for you. If if you don't preach that, it's impossible to get saved because you there there's no basis, there's no foundation for you to repent.
0: Well, if you mentioned the word ugliness so ugly, in fact, that God had to turn His head away, didn't He?
1: He did. Well, I've got a sermon called, you know, The Cross, the Singularity in, in Time-Space, because at that one place, eternity hung on the cross, and all sin and iniquity from Adam to Christ and from Christ to the very last man was all poured into that one spot at one time.
0: Ooh, singularity. Ray Kurzweil would salivate at that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But it, it was because it, everybody that was in Abraham's bosom was trusting in that event. Jesus went down there and began declaring triumphing in it and preached to them what he had done, and, was, and they were released at the same time because eternity ran down that cross. It was separated outside of time, if you will, so that here I am in the 21st century. I can repent of my sins, and that blood is just as powerful and just as purposeful as it was the day it flowed out of his veins and down that cross. Mm,
0: That's good, yeah. One of the emails I recently got made me think about this next question I want to ask you because I don't think people really understand the importance of repentance. But one of the emails I got recently, and I get a few like this, is people have a really hard time, Dr. Lake, overcoming habitual sin patterns. And of course, they feel like one of the emails had said, well, you know, I feel like I'm repenting daily for this. So, you know, I'm just kind of being a clanging symbol here. They don't know how to sort of deal with that piece about habitual sin and how it can really be broken. They just feel like they're repeating it over and over and over how do people overcome habitual sin and how do we reconcile that between the importance of repentance and ongoing sin that we can't seem to, you know, that we feel defeated in? It may, for example, take smoking or alcohol addiction. People try it on their own. They fail over and over and over. How can they get the victory when they feel like, you know, this black cloud of habitual sin is over them?
1: Well, when it becomes habitual, it's no longer sin, it's iniquity, which is is something completely different. The Bible says that he was bruised for our iniquity. And iniquity literally means to be bent toward something that almost on a DNA level that you have been bent toward that sin. And so there's several things that we can do. Number one, of course, you need to repent at the same time you need to get into the word of god and discover what the proper thing is to do the the opposite the thing you know you're you're bent toward the wrong and you've got to find out what the right is and then as a purposeful act of your will you've got to begin studying those scriptures and and begin to do the right thing in every one of those situations and begin building a new habit of doing that because that that iniquity has to be unbent over time. In fact, I've even taught people, you know, sometimes as you're struggling with this to begin pleading the bruises of Christ over that habitual sin in your life and ask God to begin straightening your heart back toward what he says you're supposed to be doing.
0: And does spiritual warfare come into that in terms of binding some of that stuff up as well?
1: It does, and, and people need to realize you know, the first level of spiritual warfare is, is the spiritual warfare within. The kingdom of God is within you. And one of the things that I, that I, that I have taught over the years, it's like a, a, when we see Israel coming back into the promised land after being in Egypt for 400 years and all the ites are there, that, that, that also can serve as a type and shadow. I've got saved. My spirit man is saved, but I still have all these ites living in my soul. That, that can be lies that I have uh, accepted as truth. In the past, it can be wounds, it could be a whole lot of things. And the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians, now we're, we, we, have the, we have the power of God to begin pulling down those strongholds, but I've, I've taught this before audiences that was shocked to realize that for that to be a stronghold or a fortified area, something has to be living in it.
0: And, and, and it really is about breaking yokes as well, right?
1: It is, it is about breaking yokes. Uh, you know, the, the anointing breaks the yoke, but you know I've, I've heard people say, well, the anointing disintegrates the yoke. That's not what it says there in Hebrew. It's basically like God twists that thing enough to, and greases your head so that when you begin moving in acts of faith, you can pull yourself out of it. What, what we have done is we want people to pray for us and us never have to do anything, and for us to get free— And just, and just then go about our life with, without any responsibility of of commanding our own flesh to do the word. And that's the opposite of what the Apostle Paul was saying. He said, listen, we, we need to bring every thought, everything within our being into captivity to Christ. That means I have the authority to capture it, to pull it down, to call it a lie. And to say, you're not truth, and this is what truth is, and then begin quoting the Word of God in that area to begin reestablishing within my soul, this is truth, not what this thing told me my whole life. Because that's where the, you know, the people, they're bent toward this, and this thing keeps on lying says, well, you know you really need this. And you have this dialogue going on, and it will stay there until you call it for what it is, take your authority in Christ, and call it a liar and command it to be removed out of you and begin replacing it with the Word of God.
0: I remember a preacher one time saying, picture two big buffoon bouncers, about 300 pounds, about 6'5 each, standing at the door of a club saying, oh, you're not on the list. In other words, whatever just, the, the thought that just came in your Head is, does that line up with the word of God? Oh, that's not, that's a lie. I'm not going to accept that in. That is not allowed in. Is, does that make sense?
1: It does. And I think as we're studying the word of God, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to begin highlighting lies that we've already let in. So now you're going to have to have a bouncer go in. And say, you know, although I let you in, you're not really on the list anymore. (laughs) So it's time for you to get out of here and take all your friends with you because you're no longer allowed in this establishment. That's part of what really studying and getting into the Word is. It's not finding little verses that we can claim and and, and think that we can get, you know, God to dis- fulfill these things because we we're, we claim them and we, we've highlighted it in our Bible. It's I'm going in here and I'm finding out this is how you live in the kingdom. This is how you think in the kingdom. This is the way that you're supposed to think and the attitude you're supposed to have in the basic philosophies of life. Now, the world taught me everything opposite of that, and so my job now is to have my my mind washed with the water of the word and cleanse these things out and and reestablish a new fortress in that area where Jesus is Lord and the kingdom of God rules and reigns.
0: Amen. Well, one of the things that's ubiquitous now, Dr. Lake, and we hear this all the time is God wants us blessed and prosperous as, you know, we throw out that my soul prospers. Yet we live in a Western culture where Everything is about every day is a Friday, live your best life now, but there's no talk about taking up our cross, dying to sin. How do we reconcile this name it and claim it mantra with the fact that God does want to bless us as well?
1: He does want to bless us, but what I have found out is his blessings aren't going to fall like, you know, little gifts from the sky. The way that God primarily wants to bless us is you can even go back to, to Third John, where he says, even as your soul prospers. And so what happens is I begin as I begin demanding of myself and I disciple myself to begin walking in the ways of God, understanding the wisdom of his commandments and the wisdom of, of what he has written and said, you know, this, this is what God's about. And as I begin to relearn doing that and begin doing that in my life, I begin walking into the blessings because you and I both know that 99 of the problems people have are because they walked into them.
0: But here's the thing that's tough to understand. When you look at the New Testament church, you know, most of them died with a one-way ticket either to death or torture or jail, imprisonment. They were often hungry. It doesn't look like every day is a Friday to me.
1: That's a hype. I mean, Paul went through some struggles. I mean, he he went in Iconium. They stoned him to death. People gathered around him. You know, resurrected him from the dead, and the next day he's right back there preaching again. It's like, didn't we kill you yesterday? So, I mean, he <laughs> had some rough things to go through, but our, our Christian faith enables us to get victory in every situation, but we have confused what God talks about blessing and walking in the kingdom with the affluence that we have in Western society, and we need to wake up to the fact that most of the church right now is living in a Laodicean society that we have confused the fact that wealth can mimic spirituality but it's not true spirituality
0: what would you say is a good definition of true spirituality
1: that you can have absolutely nothing and be happy in god
0: while paul talked about that didn't he reconciling i have come to be content in all things
1: Absolutely. And if we're looking for external things to make us happy, we're not where we need to be in God. And, you know, God's not against us having things, but God is against things having us. Our, the, the moment that I, that I put having things as responsible for my happiness, I just created an idol. Now, I may pick it up at the local car dealership, but I made that an idol. My happiness comes from God and everything else are tools to do his will on the earth.
0: Well, I said one time, how would you be if tomorrow you lost everything? Would you still be in exactly the same frame of mind? It's an interesting question to pose, isn't it?
1: It is. I remember having a friend that went to Africa and, and, and uh, totally changed his life. He went there as a mission, uh, as, on a missions trip, came back, and he said there was this young lady, and she had a dirt floor in a hut. And she was rejoicing, praising God. And he said, you know, sister, what has God done for you? And she says, I finally have a broom. God's blessed me with a broom to sweep my dirt floor.
0: Wow. That really puts things into perspective in this spoiled Western culture, doesn't it? It does. We have the of mattresses and, you know, we drive everywhere and air conditioning. And yet we really don't stop and think about how other people in other countries live, do we? And yet it seems like there's so much happier there, doesn't it?
1: It does. If, if it, the the lie of materialism goes even beyond, um, you know, having things, it it turns you into simply an animal instead of created in the in the likeness of God. In fact, what's really interesting, you, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God put man into a rich environment that had everything that he ever needed. Yet God did not call that the blessing.
0: Well, there's a scripture where. There's a young man, he said, yeah, I do everything that Jesus said. And he said, well, you know, sell everything and follow me. But he couldn't do that. So it really shows that could people really do that? Are people willing to lose everything? But I also noticed that people who lose everything or, you know, maybe they go through these really rough valleys in their life where, you know, again, it's every day is not a Friday. They're deep in the valley. They might have lost their job, their spouse, their house, their car. And yet... I think people, because of the mantra that we live in today, it's all prosperity, everything, they start feeling like there's something wrong with them.
1: You know, and that can happen. I remember years ago, because, you know, even with what we have done in ministry, I remember when I was in my early 20s, just got out of the military, uh, overqualified for everything, couldn't get a job. I mean, it's like McDonald's wouldn't even hire me. And and I remember getting in the car and, you know, the, the the conception of what biblical life would become was already in my heart back then. And we, we couldn't hardly put food on the table. There was a time my wife with, with two kids, we were feeding the whole family for $25 a week. And so, you know, you get in the car, and I was driving, and I, and I was mad at God. I was mad at the situation. And it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of just touched my heart, and I said, okay, God. Because every, every, in, in that situation, every time I, I tried to get in the Word, God took me to Job, and I thought, man, that's the last place I want to go. <laughs> you take me to Third John. Take me to something. Come on, God. And the turning point in my, uh, that I can look back at all that was I was driving in the car, and I said, God, here's the deal. If I never prosper a day in my life, I will serve you with my whole heart because I'm not serving you for stuff. I'm serving you because you love me enough to give yourself for me on the cross.
0: Absolutely. And again, I think that's where what you said earlier, that reverence is so important. Now, you mentioned a word earlier, that term anointing. Now, you talk about anointing, and you also talk about the sevenfold anointing of the Messiah. Talk about that, Dr. Lake. Yeah,
1: the sevenfold anointing is, if I'm remembering right, is taken out of Isaiah 11, where he talks about, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel. The, these are These are specific anointings that as I really begin to dedicate myself to Messiah, that they begin to operate in my life, and they they almost kind of twin together. Some of them do. That you need to have wisdom, but you also need to have the spirit of power because if you, you need to have both the wisdom on how to handle the situation and the authority and power to do it. So, they, many times they will work and and twin together. But we've always thought the anointing was just you know to have a Pentecostal fit, or you know a lot of things that we do in the in the in the church that we call is is actually operating under the anointing. And I believe sometimes what we can have is an immature reaction to the anointing. But the anointing is really supposed to function in our lives in such a way that we move in wisdom, we move in understanding. The, the, all of the balances of those anointings, when you look in Isaiah 11, it all be, is based upon a healthy fear of God. That's what accesses those anointings, and that what is what allows those anointings to flow properly in our life.
0: Yeah, and when we say fear, of course, people often picture you trembling, biting your fingernails, you know, just, oh, fear of God. But it's more of a reverence, isn't
1: it? Absolute reverence and respect.
0: That sure needs to be addressed in a a world that we live in now. Like you said, I mean, even fasting has been, it's just a lost art. And yet the Bible talks over and over about the importance of doing it. And I think that people, what they do is they just tend to go, well, you know, fasting, I've got low blood sugar. You know, they make all the excuses in the world for not fasting, don't they?
1: They do. And I've even told people, you know, if you're, I mean, if you're if you're a type 2 diabetic, you have to be careful with it. But you can, you can pick one of your favorite things and fast. Uh, the Bible even tells us, you know, like if I'm going to go on a three-day fast, I'll also do kind of a lemon juice fast with it to help clean out the body. But what, one of the things Isaiah tells us to do is if you really, you, you fast to break wickedness. And so I've got to, not only am I going without food, but I'm seeking the face of God and interceding and, 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 and making supplication for those in my, in my area that wickedness would be broken. And then I add to that a third component. I take the money for the food that I should have eaten those three days, and then I give it to the poor
0: wow that's something we could really stand to duplicate as well well the body is the temple and it's amazing in this fast food world we really people really are not paying attention to the kind of healthy eating i mean if you look at the daniel uh way of eating for example it's really there's a strong correlation between what we put in our bodies and also where we're at spiritually isn't there
1: i think there is there there has always been a psycho spiritual physio connection with us that if that if one part of it, it's out of whack, it can, it can affect us spiritually, you know, try to be in, in severe pain or, or to, to not be, you know, clear-headed and try to pray. It doesn't work. And it, so it really
0: it, doesn't work, does it?
1: No, it does. We need to take care of all, all three aspects of, of, our, of our being. And part of it is, is taking care of ourselves properly physically and, and eating the right things and, and knowing when to fast and, and using fast as fasting is also a way of, of even help cleaning out the junk uh, that this world has put in into our food that poisons us. And I think part of that reason is to dumb us down spiritually and intellectually. Because it it. it, it can kind of impede uh, clear thinking and so fasting and and then kind of watching what you eat is going to help you get back on the road you need to be on.
0: What do you say to people out there that are really trying to, for lack of a better word, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and it hasn't happened for them? What can people do in that situation?
1: I, I think part of it is persistence and tearing. Uh, Number two, what I tell people, and in in fact, I got to uh, sit with Dr. Tom Horn, that at one time pastored the guy who penned the position. I think it was for the Assemblies of God that you know tongues was the initial station, and he really didn't like that position, even though he was asked to write it, because what I what I have seen, I have seen a lot of tongue talkers that are powerless. Mm. So what I tell people is, you keep pressing into God. Until you glow at night. Don't, don't look for a manifestation. You're looking for a, a rise in the level of intimacy with God and a level of power with God. You know, tongues will come, but there's also, you know, eight other gifts that we need to see manifested in your life. And what we see in the book of Acts is there is always a greater boldness for the gospel, there's a greater love for the word, and there's a greater love for God's people.
0: How can people acquire holy
1: boldness? <laughs> I think part of it is this learning to gain confidence in God. To, to, to get the boldness, you have to go through something to get it. And you know, although that, you know, Peter had already been three and a half years of the Lord, and he, he went from this this quiet man that or not quiet man, but cowardly man, to one with boldness Because he was touched by God and he knew the power of what God was doing. And so he had went through these experiences as well as receiving the baptism. And uh, I think we need to have more boldness today in the pulpit and out of the pulpit. You know, you, you need to get yourself settled in where you are in God and get deep in that word. Once you do, you, you see this unique thing in the book of Acts. It wasn't just the apostles going around that you had these from house to house. God will lead you to people to begin talking about the word and, and to begin talking about the things of God that, and you can do that from home. You, you, you can, you can meet with them over lunch somewhere and discuss the word. Uh, the other day I was checking out at Sam's and had about a 10 minute discussion with a guy checking me out simply about some aspects of the word of God, because it, 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 it was like, once you find out who I was, it, it, it kind of flowed spontaneously, but yet there was a depth there, uh, that you knew that before, before I finished paying for what I was getting at Sam's, that I had touched his life and gave him something that he could use, uh, to move in the kingdom of God with. And so really, you know, within the culture they had in the book of Acts, it, church was not something you went once a week to do it was something you were you were 24/7 and it and your conversation your daily conversation with other people included your understanding of the word who messiah was how you were walking with and what god was doing in your life and i think we need to return to that we need to we, we don't need to let the world force us into a church building or force us into a closet somewhere they're very boisterous about every aspect of their lives why can't we be just as vocal about where we are with god and what god's doing in our lives
0: that daily devotional, that daily Bible reading is important, but fasting, meditating on God's Word, obviously meditating on even a Bible verse if you're at work can be really helpful. God's Word, is in a, it's an especially powerful tool when negative emotions are frequently threatening your internal peace, aren't they?
1: It is, and I, one of the things I found out about the Word of God is that based upon how you're approaching it with the questions that you have, it depends on how it speaks to you. I have come into Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and taught it from about 500 different perspectives. Have you ever noticed where where Jesus will answer a question with a question? Yeah. And it wasn't to frustrate. It was a part of the culture of that time because they understood until the teacher could get you to ask the right question, you weren't ready for the answer.
0: It's really about being in a place where you're ready to receive it too, isn't it?
1: It is, and and working with the Holy Spirit, and and that's why that dialogue with Him and being really honest with Him is so important, because He'll work with you and get you to the place that you're asking the right questions. And sometimes the problems that we go through, the situations that we go through are not just the enemy doing them. But God, you know, the Bible says that God can take every one of those situations and turn it around for good. How can he do that? Because he can use that situation to get me to ask the right question, to give me the piece of the puzzle, to get victory forever in that area of my life if I'll just flow with the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, and how can people get more in tune to the Holy Ghost with the world clamoring for our attention and certainly the demonic presence we see in the world. How can we get more attuned to the Holy Ghost?
1: I I think we need to learn to turn off the world and to um, whether it's listening to good preaching or just listening to good praise and worship, we, 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 we keep the static from the world so constantly going on in our lives. God would have to get a megaphone many times to, to be able to get our attention. But we're, we're the ones that have to decide, I'm turning off the TV, I'm turning these things off, I'm going to spend time just alone with God, or I'm going to spend time without all this constant noise and, and worldly stimulation coming through my, my life so that I can become more sensitive to His voice. Uh, you you see Jesus all the time taking taking his disciples even away from the crowds they were ministering to, so that they could get away from the den of society, so that so they could become more sensitive to his voice. And I, I think we've got to do the same thing.
0: Well, and it also begs the question: Why Jesus was frequently he was ducking out of the crowds and 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 spending time in the wilderness himself?
1: Absolutely, and I, I think everything right now of the world. From our, from our smartphones, which, you know, I use one in ministry. There's, there's so many different parts of technology that we use, but we, we can almost end up with an addiction over it because it's hyper stimulating us all the time. And that's when we need to turn it off, walk away. Because I think part of what, what it's doing, it is, it is so hyper stimulating our minds that we can't be quiet before the Lord to hear his voice.
0: Now, let's recap what's important. So daily Bible reading's are a must. Commit to reading at least a minimum of a chapter a day, preferably before you begin your day. The Bible nourishes your spirit like good food nourishes your body. So reading the word is very important. A daily devotional is important. I think just the simple act of putting the word of God into your heart before falling asleep can be a, a nice way of protecting your mind as well meditating on the Word is very powerful when it comes to that daily barrage of, of conversation, dialogue in your head. Fasting is huge, praying is big, obviously repentance is a big one. What else do you think is really important for people to make a part of their daily walk?
1: I think just working on being Kingdom Conscience. You know, if, if when, when I was in the military I had to serve overseas and when you're in a foreign country one of the things they, they teach you is to be mindful at all times that you're an American soldier. E- even though we're we're at peace with these people, I was stationed in Germany, be be aware that you're a part of something other than what you're walking in. And I think we need to do the same thing. We We need to learn the art of realizing that we are citizens of a greater kingdom that has its own rules, its own regulations, its own laws, And it's own empowerment for its citizens. And we need to learn to be kingdom conscious so that we live life purposefully every moment. Whether, whether I'm, I'm, I'm driving down the road, I need to, I need to learn to move in kingdom authority so that I can, I can operate my vehicle properly and the devil can't cause accidents. Or if, or if I'm dealing in business deals, I need to realize that that in in that business deal, I'm not only representing the company that I'm from, I'm representing the kingdom of God. So I've got to move in absolute integrity in everything i do
0: absolutely and we need to learn to bind the enemy's voice as well don't we
1: we do and i mean that's one of the things that that i teach in learning to to uh, hear the voice of god you do when when you're first learning you bind the enemy's voice and then you tell your own head to shut up (laughs) (laughs) And, and you've got to know the difference of which one is which so that you can begin hearing the voice of god um, binding and loosing is something very powerful and there's there's two aspects of it because it's mentioned twice in the gospels one it can almost be the with the understanding that you have the right to either release things in your life that you can permit them or that you can you can stop them. God gave you the authority to be the gatekeeper of your life. you can tell the devil no, you can say we don't do it this way, this is the way that my family's going to do it. you have that right under God to do that. the other, when he, when he brought them um, uh, to Mount Hermon, he actually put them in the position where they, where they were staring at a, a, a grotto with pan in it. You had the very entrance that the Greeks taught was Hades, and it was also the exact same spot where the, where the watchers came down to begin what they were doing in Genesis 6. And even Nimrod had a fortress on the top of that mountain at one time. Jesus brought them there and said, you know what, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I need to point out something here, too, because there's a trend right now in in spiritual warfare teaching of teaching people to go up into the second heaven and begin warring against principalities and powers. Right. That is nowhere in the Word of God.
0: There's all these sort of fringe teachings out there, and we really have to be careful that we are aligning teaching. I mean, teaching has to be based on the Word of God. It can't just be, oh, that sounds good. It has to line up with the Word, doesn't it?
1: it does and we have we've been given authority in the first heaven you know if a principality or power manifests here we can bind them. If a watcher manifests here, we can bind them. If a demon manifests here, we can bind them. But God never gave us authority over the second heaven. And so what we need to do is when we're, you know, you may do spiritual mapping, you figure out what the principality is over that area, and then you can start interceding and asking for God to send warring angels to begin coming against that thing and breaking its power. You know, if, if you try to do it, you're going to end up going up there, and you're poking a bear with a stick, and it's a big grizzly bear that's asleep, and is, will wake up very angry. And I, I have seen churches try to do that, and you know, try to try to do this second heavenly war stuff. And two or three years later, the pastor's dead, the churches aren't there anymore, and all havoc broke loose because they they exceeded their authority.
0: Very good. Well, speaking of authority, Kingdom Authority and Spiritual Warfare, talk about how people can get your incredible series. And and I just highly recommend people get this package that you have on right now. Talk about how, talk, well, first of all, talk about what it is exactly and how people can get their hands on this very timely series.
1: We, uh, we have actually, we have three series, Kingdom Authority, Warfare 1, Two, and then three actually uh, was a kingdom intelligence briefing that kind of was the the, the um, impetus for what became the Shiner Directive. But in the first two ones, I'm, I'm teaching young Christians how to be. We you know what is spiritual warfare, what our armor is, uh, how to go through it. Then on the second, we go to some advanced levels of understanding what the anointing is, how to move in it, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, what the gifts of the Spirit are, how to begin moving in those. Uh, each one has a between a 100- to 200-page study guide and either 16 MP3 lectures or 16 CD lectures. So there's at least 16 hours of teaching with each one of those sets. And uh, you can either go to Kingdom Intelligence Briefing, hit on resources, and there will be a link, or we have our our direct way to get to our shopping cart is simply store.biblical-life.com. And we we're we're having home fellowships. We're having a lot of people as part of their devotional time get into these studies, and it's absolutely transforming their life. And, the, and they're really beginning to understand what spiritual warfare is all about. I've been in ministry for years. I I go through two or three books a month myself, just for just to just to keep the Word of God rich and whatever topic that I'm studying rich. Uh, we 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 spend so much time feeding our minds all the wrong things. It's time to begin reversing that. And what I like about the MP3s is people can actually drop all 16 lectures from their computer right onto their smartphone and take it with them wherever they're going.
0: Well, and I strongly suggest people do go check out. And again, the two websites are KingdomIntelligenceBriefing.com and Biblical-Life.com. They're both linked there on today's bio. Dr. Michael Lake, thank you so much for coming on the program this evening. It's been a
1: real pleasure.
0: Thank you, sir. Folks, that was Dr. Michael Lake. His information is linked there on the July 13th bio. Do check out that Kingdom Authority and Spiritual Warfare information. It is probably one of the best compilations I have seen anywhere. Do check that out. Just a reminder, I am on John B. Wells's Caravan to Midnight tonight at 10 p.m. Central Time. That is, of course, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Mountain time, and I look forward to you checking that out. Of course, caravan2midnight.com, you can check that out, and I think that'll be a very interesting show. I'm going to be getting into the guts of the green agenda on that show, and I'm sure we'll be jumping around a lot. I have such High regard for John B. Wells, and what an honor to be invited to his show. I just want to remind people that I am joining Doug and Joe Hagman this Wednesday night, the first hour or so of the show, Wednesday night, July 15th. And Steve Quayle, speaking of the 15th, Steve Quayle and Tim Alberino will be on my show on Wednesday, July 15th. It's going to be very exciting. Folks, thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast tonight. Good night. And God bless.